The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Building Banking on Values with your host, Linda Ryan. Banking today can depend on a variety of factors, including where you bank. It's time to put the power back into your pockets. It's time to change what you think you know about banking. Now, here is Linda Ryan. Welcome back to the Building Banking on Values show, a series that goes behind the scenes to shine a light on the values-based banking movement. We've got real stories about real people and initiatives, products, programs, and innovations creating real positive change in the banking sector. Who would have thought, eh? In case you're new to this series, this show is all about how a new wave of banks and financial institutions and supporting partners are reassessing their purpose and redesigning their mission and operations around people, communities, businesses, but all in service of what we call the real economy. So an economy that really supports growth, economic wealth, and development for communities and businesses locally. So far, we've explored banking with a social conscience, the concept of feminine banking, lobbying and teaching for change, how research and governance is changing the banking sector, investment banking and how it can actually have a heart, concepts like financial inclusion and economic independence, impact and how banks can and should go beyond the balance sheet. We've even looked at how grassroots change in banking is happening at an educational, community development and Occupy level. Now, last week on the show, we had Damien Walsh, Managing Director with Bank Australia, and Charles Hampton-Turner, an author and management philosopher. And both Damien and Charles spoke eloquently about how they believe money can be put to good use and how they are uh, experiencing and supporting that good implementation of money. On this week's show, we're going to hear from Laurie Spangler from Include Capital Advisory and Jim Prouty from an organization called Sapphire. Both Jim and Laurie's organizations are helping to bridge the gap between ethical investment, growth capital, and an equitable global economy. But for now, let's go to David Corsland. David is on the show weekly, and he's a senior advisor, and he's been consulting in the values-based banking sector for many years. David will give us um, an update on what's happening in the banking and financial news, and we can tie it back to this very show on this topic. David, welcome to the show. Linda, it's great to be back again, and uh, I always enjoy this week, uh, weekly time with you. Absolutely, likewise. So, David, what's happening in the news in the banking world? Well, uh, uh, some weeks I have more of a theme, and this week I've got sort of, uh, I would describe the potpourri of uh, articles that are of interest. Um, there was a recent report that came out on the Coalition from Investment Banking Index that uh, highlights that once again the uh, how should I say it? The, the revenue streams for the largest banks in the world that focus on trading in the financial markets are down. And this is an ongoing trend that's been going on now for some time. Uh, and I think it really indicates that there's starting to be a lack of, of activity 
in the financial market that drove those business models. And although that is not perhaps good for the largest banks in the world, it might be very good news for those uh, for the world in, in general because it shows a uh, lower concentration of economy and a greater concentration of real economy. So, not happy news for the bonus world for the large investment banks with traders. Perhaps great news for the rest of the world who wants to see the real economy supported. And David, I'm wondering, is there something going on in the in the world of investment banking? Because I saw something in the news on um, actually Finance Yahoo News that Credit Suisse have lost another three senior tech investment bankers. But this is all um, relating back to how they seem to be accelerating restru- uh, sorry restructuring plans, you know, with plans to cut another 2,000 investment banking jobs in addition to planned headcount reduction of 3,500 this year. Is, does this all in some way relate to what you're saying, that there's a movement in, in the more traditional kind of investment banking and it's causing a knock-on effect in terms of, I guess, the bottom line, profit, and, and therefore headcount reduction? Yeah, I think it's... I, I would try to draw a different parallel, Linda. I think what's happening is that uh, the largest banks in the world have built up infrastructures that required an enormously large flow of revenues to justify them. And those revenues existed, particularly in the pre-crisis period, because there were lot, there was lots of financial engineering, and that led to lots of financial transactions with unclear contribution to, to the economy. And w- one could take it a step further, and this I, I'll go to another article. There was a, another article in the paper this week about uh, city trader, traders from Citibank, um, their, their tapes were released of what they actually said, and it was clear that they were manipulating the market to increase their profit. So um, to put those two things together, you had this model built on levels of financial transactions that were probably unsustainable, and furthermore, uh, perhaps uh, not fully honestly and transparently sent through, that's all gone away. And so what you see now is large, these banks with those exposures to the investment banking world. But I really, it's not really investment banking, it's really the trading market. I, right. I, I think between raising equity capital to support the real economy or debt issues to support the real economy from speculating and, and so-called casino activities. It's that trading activity that is really taking a hit. And I think that reflects hopefully a return to a more sensible financial system that has less focus on the financial economy and more focus on the real economy. Yeah, and it's a topic we've heard a lot of, actually. You know, any of the the CEOs we've had on the show who are from um, what we call the values-based or the, the more sustainable types of banks, they're all saying the same thing. They're saying, they're saying that they set themselves up to be very mission-focused, and that part of that mission is serving what we call the real economy as opposed to, you know, I guess artificial creation of, of instruments, financial instruments, just purely to make profit. So they're setting themselves up to serve local communities, local businesses, the real economy, and they're actually um, growing because of that. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a good segue, uh, Linda, into a, another article I came across this week. It's a, 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 a finance blog from John Fullerton from the Capital Institute. John's also been on your show, uh, as has Susan Arterian Chang, who works with him. 
And he written a very interesting blog and a very nuanced blog, which I think is very helpful, particularly as it relates to the U.S. political situation, which I think is a um, uh, nuance is not necessarily a word you would use to describe it. But uh, the title of the blog is to break them up or not to break them up. That is the wrong question. And he looks at the policy proposals of Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, and Bernie Sanders and finds both good and bad in all of their proposals. So it's a very good article, and it deals with uh, one of his themes, which is how do we create a financial system that supports the regenerative economy, an economy that focuses on rebuilding in the future. Uh, So I highly recommend that this because I think if you really want to think about what are the policy changes needed, you need to get beyond the uh, the rhetoric and into what really went wrong and how do we fix it. So to to break them up or not to break them up, I think I agree with John. It's not the right question. Uh, let's, so let's focus on what we need to do to change public policy to make a better financial system. Uh, so that's excellent work. Uh, David, let me, let me clarify. When when John is talking about to break them up or not break them up, what's what's the breaking up? Is it the banks? Uh, or He's focusing on the, on the question of whether or not the large banks, particularly the large banks in the U.S., should be broken up into smaller pieces and uh, whether we should be so uh, although it's focused on the U.S. public policy, I think the conclusions and his analysis is quite uh, spot on to the rest of the world as well. So, but it's all about, are the banks too big? Um, I personally think they are too big and too complex, uh, but it's also goes beyond that. It's one of the real questions we need to get at to ensure that the financial system is fit for purpose to serve people's needs and not the needs of an elite few or or, the, or just the financial sector. Absolutely. And it, it's interesting you're saying that because I saw a, another piece of news reported by City AM and it was how David Cameron's former advisor, Steve Hilton, this is in the UK, has branded the banking sector, now get this, a stitched up corrupt cartel that needs to be completely overhauled. And it, it's just so interesting. You know, I think... Uh, what I'm what I'm sensing is people are becoming and, and senior people are becoming more and more outspoken about, you know, the changes required for banking to to really be put in service of of people and communities. And I think that's a great. Uh, you're giving me all the great lines. Uh, you would think we had scripted this in advance, which we don't. But that goes <laughs> to my next article, which is there's a large article. This is in the UK banking market about consumers being turned off by banks' hidden charges and fees. And it focuses on the fact that a lot of UK banks hide their fees. And I think this gets to, a, to an important issue, which is that um, we frequently talk about bubbles in the economy, bubbles in housing prices, bubbles in asset prices, and so forth. But I think there's an even more serious bubble to think about, which is the bubble in which bankers live. Um, it's a sad commentary, uh, also in my past life, I have to admit, that bankers hang out with other bankers. They're, they, they live in communities with other bankers. They're, they're all sort of living in a bubble economy of bankers, and they don't really get how it is in the rest of the world. And so they say, oh, we need to make money because our traditional sources or what we thought were good sources of money are not making money. Let's find a way to hide fees and make people pay them. And, and that's really what this article is about. And I know 
these fees were developed by people focusing on how do we deliver a bottom line, not focused on how do we meet people's needs and how do we do that economically. So I think, think about bubbles. Let's not just focus on asset bubbles and such as that, but let's also focus on the bubbles in which people in the financial services industry live and, and their lack of contact with the real world. I think that's a real serious and it's it's actually quite apt because on on last week's show we were speaking to um, a, a girl called Marlous um, from Medios and um, and what she was talking about is some of the initiatives they're working on in the UK where they're actually developing um, I guess stakeholder dialogues between just the, the normal person on the street and and banking leadership and it's it really what it's doing is it, it's trying to in a very gentle and constructive way and positive way burst that bubble so that you know those in leadership and banking can can really have a constructive conversation with the people and the organizations that they actually have an opportunity to serve in a profitable way but to serve for the betterment of 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 society so it's interesting that you talk about that because it's, it's it's what we discussed last week on the show too yeah, and that's that's. I've actually done some work with Marlous in the project they're working on, which is the future of the UK banking uh, system, and they're doing excellent work and uh, enormous involvement of broad-based stakeholder engagement. And I think that that's going to be very helpful for for the bankers who sit in those meetings to also hear from from people they don't normally hear from. There was uh, one story about somebody who had an overdraft charge, and, and actually, because of a single overdraft charge, they then sort of spiraled into a series of charges, lost, I believe they ended up losing their job. It, it just was a disaster, all because of a simple overdraft charge. And again, I think that comes because you have banks who aren't thinking about the people they're serving. And that's, that's jumped my next article, which was um, uh, about community banking in the U.S., we've gone to the U.K., big banks, the U.K. banking system to rural America. And this is an excellent article in uh, the Banking Exchange, um, the uh, magazine out of the U.S., about banking in rural America and how rural communities need capital and they need connections to their bankers. And I, I think I talked earlier on this program about uh, the sort of creation of banking deserts. And there's been studies that show that these banking deserts create real problems for communities because you lose the soft information, the, the information that a credit officer knows about the client, that it the credit may have some challenges, but because the credit officer understands the client has the soft information, they know how to underwrite credit better. And this article is very much focused on, on rural communities. And in the U.S., it's a real issue that as banks consolidated, branches in rural communities have disappeared, the credit process is centralized, and as a result, the support for the local economic community goes away, and then it spirals downward. And, and it, that becomes a vicious spiral, whereas if you have banks that stay in the community, uh, Southern Bank Corp, the Global Alliance uh, in, in the Mississippi Delta is one of those, they continue to name those lending officers in, on site in those local communities. They find ways to serve those communities at a profitable way, and they meet the needs of those communities for access to capital. So I, I just, it's, it's interesting. Uh, what's been great about doing this program with you is that uh, you see how these things link together. 
Absolutely, and it's, it's a great way to end this particular segment because we did actually have uh, Darren Williams, the CEO from Southern Bancorp, on, um, I think it was two weeks ago, and he was speaking about that, like the importance of actually having that authentic relationship with the customer so that they can figure out what the needs are and then figure out how a financial organization or a bank um, can actually serve those needs. So, David, it's been great having you on the show. Thanks very much for the, the news roundup. Folks, um, join us after the break. We're going to speak with Laurie Spangler from Include Capital Advisory Services. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways. Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K., on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. Do you feel it when you work with marketing or PR firms? They're moving in slow motion. Or they just don't know what they're talking about. You won't get that on Marketing at Lightspeed. Host Ethan Raziel and his guest experts will deliver tips and tricks that work at Lightspeed. If you want to accelerate your company's marketing, listen every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You are tuned into Building Banking on Values. To reach Linda Ryan or her guests, please send an email to lynda.ryan at gabv.org. That's lynda.ryan at gabv.org. You may also join the social media conversation by using hashtag banking on values or tweet show host Linda Ryan at Catalyst Warrior. Now back to Building Banking on Values. Welcome back to the Building Banking on Values show. We were just speaking with David Corzon, who is giving us a news roundup, and we had some pretty interesting um, insights and perspectives around uh, the business models changing from a banking perspective, the importance of real economy, um, and how the largest banks in the world seem to have been built up on, on, on a, almost an artificial infrastructure in terms of creating, creating money. Um, and the opportunity now from banking is, is to return back in service uh, of the real economy and real communities that they serve. So it's a perfect segue um, for our next guest. So let me just introduce you. I'd like you to meet Laurie Spangler, President and Chief Executive Officer of Include. Uh, Laurie is focused on expanding access to financial and livelihood opportunities for small and growing businesses, entrepreneurs, and households. Now, Laurie's goal is to contribute to building a more inclusive and equitable global economy. Professionally, Laurie has more than 25 years' experience as a strategy and transaction services professional. She's experienced in capital raising, mergers and acquisitions, and private equity. And over the past decade, Laurie has developed a particular focus on access to capital for double and triple bottom line businesses. Laurie, welcome to the show. 
Thanks, Linda. Great to be with you. <laughs> it's great to have you. Laurie, I'm sure there's something uh, special in the name in- Include. Can you tell us what it means and, and why you chose it as, as your organization's name? Absolutely. Well, there's a, there's a longer history to the company than uh, our name may suggest because the name is relatively new. The company comes out of more than 20 years of experience from Shorebank International and Triodos Facet. So these were two specialist advisory firms coming out of two values-driven banks relative to the, the theme of our conversation. And these two advisory firms came together uh, and merged a couple of years ago, and at that time we were looking for a name that would reflect what we do and really the, the spirit behind what we do or underpinning what we do. And so we settled on include spelled with an E because in our view it is all about building inclusive local economies and we wanted to celebrate as an E the entrepreneurs who really are the engines for building those local economies. The other dimension of E is, of course, in the environment, because we do take very seriously all that we do should contribute positively in a healthy way to the environment. So it's about creating, I guess, economic and environmental impact through, uh, through capital. It is. I will say this, though, Linda. It's capital and capacity. So our mantra as a firm, it's the two Cs. And what we mean by that is money alone is not going to build the inclusive, sustainable, healthy local economies we need. It's critically important, but it's not enough. So we also have a second part of the company that focuses more on capacity solutions. You could say consulting, but really it's about building long-term capabilities of operating organizations that are focused on real economy initiatives. So for us, it is the combination of capacity and capital that we think is critically important to achieving the aim. And it's interesting you say that because it's a theme I've noticed um, with a lot of our guests, um, specifically those who are, you know, banking or banking-based cooperatives, that what they talk about is not really developing products and services. It's more solutions in a wholesome way. And what I mean by solutions are it's, it's what you say. It's, it's about reaching into to the people, the communities, and the entrepreneurs, figuring out where the gaps are, where the opportunities are, how they need to be supported by a financial institution, and then either creating a product or a program or initiative or even consulting or connecting or collaborating with them to actually then help them build a, a, a sustainable, and what I mean by sustainable is um, a long-term uh, exactly. business out of that. Exactly. And I just, if I could, Linda, I'll give you an example of just what you've articulated, because this is a a very good reflection of what we do as a firm uh, to bring those solutions to life. Uh, We're working with a regional bank in Latin America called BAC Bank, B-A-C Bank. Uh, We're specifically working with them in Nicaragua, but they operate throughout Central America. And we have put together a, a very holistic program to focus on women-led businesses. It's not just women-owned, but women-led businesses for several reasons. The bank realized that that's a segment of the economy, of the real economy, they weren't fully addressing. And when we were talking to the women-led businesses, they were not receiving the complete services they needed, not just a loan, but additional services. So what we as a firm did, we include, we designed a holistic approach where we looked at both the supply side, what are the loan products 
that these types of businesses need. And then also we look beyond the capital. What do the entrepreneurs and enterprises need? And so we put the pieces together, putting the pieces of the puzzle together, and we have a business development support service provider that's actually working with the entrepreneurs directly, hands-on in their businesses, attending to all kinds of day-to-day challenges they may have. The, the business development support provider is also providing the initial eligibility vetting for the bank and then working to monitor the performance of the business over time. So it's a real partnership between the bank and a business development support provider. And with the bank side, what we've done is we've gone inside the bank, worked with the loan officers, really tried to help them underwrite businesses that are cash-driven businesses. These are not asset-rich businesses. They're cash businesses, which again reflect the real economy and then come up with the right loan product, which is now what we're calling a variable payment obligation, which simply means that the loan itself isn't tied to calendar payments. It's linked to the performance of the business because a lot of these businesses are seasonal. They have episodic payment flows. And so why can't we align the loan instrument with the underlying realities of the business. So it may not sound so innovative when you actually talk through the pieces. A lot of people would say, well, we're aware of those types of challenges and issues that entrepreneurs need more than money, that banks should look at the cash flows, not the assets. But to be candid with you, we haven't seen a lot of examples where people are putting those dimensions together effectively in a concerted way and reaching a segment of entrepreneurs. So we're really pleased with this work, and we do expect it to be rolled out uh, in other markets across the globe. And speaking of other markets, I mean, how many countries have you provided, um, I guess, solutions in? Uh, Well, we've worked in over 100, I have to say. So we are global. Uh, we're, we're, we're boutique-like uh, in our size and scale. We are global uh, in our reach, I, and we have people distributed across the globe. I would say from, a, from an overall activity perspective, I mean, we are seeing demand and need in, in every market where we work. I think it, it's challenging. There's no question there are linguistic, uh, cultural, local regulatory familiarity questions, but we do retain the principle that we want to be uh, global in our reach and perspective. We have some, I would say, strategic clusters and priorities of geographies, but we, we have worked in over 100 countries. Um, so it's interesting you have um, some strategic clusters and priorities and geographies. Can you, can you tell me why you um, would do that? Yeah, so, so one would be in South Asia, Bangladesh, Pakistan, and India. We've done extensive work over our 20-plus year history in South Asia. And uh, so, so, A, we have experience there. We've, we've gained uh, a lot of insights and understanding to the marketplace. We also have colleagues who are based there and, and local national colleagues who really have a deep familiarity with the environment in which they're working. And what you were saying a few minutes ago, Linda, these solutions are demand-driven. They have to come from the community uh, in the first instance for them to be effective. So that experience base for us is, is, is critical. And then we also feel that we're more efficient uh, in having these clusters because we can deliver the work 
uh, more effectively in our own resource mobilization and the like. So it really comes from an understanding, I would say credibility, experience, and also then tapping to be more efficient. I would also say in the example of South Asia, there's just tremendous opportunity and need. I mean, this is an area where if you look at unbanked or underbanked, and what I mean by that is people who maybe have a bank account, but they're not really using it effectively to meet their financial needs, there's just a, a, a huge uh, population opportunity. I mean, Pakistan, 180 million people, 20 million have a bank account. So th- just when you look at the sheer numbers at the surface, it explains why we, we do have a prioritization there. I should say, though, Linda, and I really like your show for this reason, the needs we're talking about and the opportunities, they are global. So we work in the United States. We work in Europe. The numbers may not match what we see in a Pakistan or a Bangladesh in terms of just pure unbanked or underbanked, but the pockets, what David was alluding to, in rural communities, for example, the pockets of need in low-income neighborhoods, it's tremendous. And so the relevance of what we're talking about here really is a global conversation. It's not unique to one particular geography. Laurie, and I'm interested to find out a bit more specifically about who you serve. Do you serve, well, are your customers banks or are they um, partnerships, organizations, development organizations, or is it, is it business to business or is it retail? We serve a, a, a wide range, which I appreciate the question, uh, Linda. So we do, we work I would say our focus is with what we would call real economy actors, again, to one of the themes you've been punching out in your shows. What do we mean by that? Financial institutions and financial institutions of all types and stripes. So it can be a microfinance institution that perhaps is transformed into a regulated bank. It can be a small and medium-sized enterprise-focused bank. It can be a very large commercial bank that is endeavoring to do more uh, in the real economy. So uh, banks are a big uh, client base of, our, of ours. In addition, though, it's corporations, operating businesses. We're doing a really interesting piece of work with MasterCard Corporation now, their Center for Inclusive Growth. So that's a very big corporation, but they have determined that it's quite important for them to focus on principles of inclusive growth and inclusive finance at the corporation level, independent from a foundation. So we do a lot with corporations, um, business development support providers, accelerators, and incubators who are serving in their markets directly individual entrepreneurs. But then a big part of what we do, Linda, is working with investors and funders. So those who want to see more of these local solutions and local enterprises come to life. So it is quite a range of um, touch points we have on the client side. And is there a growing market for this? I mean, are you, are you quite unique? Is Include quite unique in what, in what you do? Or are you, do you have lots of competitors in this space? What I'm trying to understand is, is there, is there the potential there and are organizations seizing upon that potential? Absolutely. I would say what, there, there, there are more and more players, both in, in the advisory sphere where we sit, uh, we're advisory slash investment banking. If you, if we were technical about what we're doing here, so we see more people entering, which is terrific and welcomed. Uh, but more importantly, we see more operating businesses and operating financial institutions at least asking the question, can I have a more sustainable business model if I focus more deliberately on the real economy and what does that 
look like? So I would say from a direct competitor of Include, absolutely. And there are, I would say, local and regional competitors as well as global competitors. But what we get excited about is seeing more and more operating businesses and financial institutions challenging themselves to engage with the real economy and determine how they can retool their business models to do more. So therefore, overall, the activity level is increasing. The one thing I would say that's distinct, we haven't seen a lot of people who have both sides of the house that I talked about at the beginning. The capacity, the consulting capabilities combined with capital intermediation. So on the capital side of our, of our business, we are an FCA-regulated uh, advisory firm. So we are mobilizing financial resources that support businesses and financial institutions as they grow. And that combination of a capital intermediation capability combined with the consulting, we haven't seen a lot of that. So it's, it's a, I guess it's a winning combination. It's the, the hands-on support, even through the life cycle of an organization or an initiative, plus the, the financing that will be required to help build that growth. That's exactly right. That, that's exactly right, Linda. And sometimes the conversation with Include can start with a question on the capital side that an operating entity is looking for growth capital to propel their own business, or it can start on the strategic consulting side or on a particular product and service design side. So the conversation can commence in different ways, but you're precisely right. Having both capabilities allows us to stay with our clients and grow. And one example of that is we've had the good fortune to work with BRAC, which is one of the largest um, development organizations in the world. For uh, I personally have worked with them for 10 years, but as a firm, we've worked with them for much longer. And we are primarily working with BRAC in the 10 countries where they operate outside of Bangladesh. So this is an example of an extraordinary organization. But over the past decade, they've moved as a southern operator into 10 other countries outside of Bangladesh. As I say, we've been very privileged to be a strategic advisor to BRAC uh, as part of that international expansion. And BRAC is actually a great example, too, of an organization that have even set up um, a banking a financial institution to actually help create and, and support that level of, of economic, uh, social, That's and right. environmental development required. Laurie, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Very quickly, if people would like to find out more, um, can you share your web address? Absolutely. So www.includecapital.com or includesolutions.com. It all comes to the same landing page, but reflecting the two parts of our organization, it's includecapital.com or includesolutions.com. Fantastic, Laurie. It's been great having you on the show. Folks, stay with us. We're, we're going to take a break, but after the break, I'm going to introduce you to Jim Prouty from an organization called Sapphire. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways. Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K. on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. 
Do you feel it when you work with marketing or PR firms? They're moving in slow motion. Or they just don't know what they're talking about. You won't get that on Marketing at Lightspeed. Host Ethan Raziel and his guest experts will deliver tips and tricks that work at Lightspeed. If you want to accelerate your company's marketing, listen every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You are tuned into Building Banking on Values. To reach Linda Ryan or her guests, please send an email to lynda.ryan at gabv.org. That's lynda.ryan at gabv.org. You may also join the social media conversation by using hashtag banking on values or tweet show host Linda Ryan at Catalyst Warrior. Now back to Building Banking on Values. Welcome back to the Building Banking on Value show. We just had a great interview with Laurie Spangler, President and Chief Executive Officer of Include. Um, some really great examples of how impacts can be created uh, with a combination of consulting advisory services and capital. So it's, it's the two cornerstones to help any relationship and, and build any sustainable business. And let me now introduce you to Jim Prouty, Chief Executive Officer, Director, and Chairman of the Investment Committee with an organization called SAFIRE. Now, SAFIRE stands for Sustainability, Finance, Real Economies. Jim has over 35 years of international corporate investment banking and SME lending experience, gained primarily at Bank of America and Heller Financials. Jim started his career in banking with J.P. Morgan Chase from New York, and he has been president of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce in Brussels, president of the American Council of European Chambers of Commerce, and was also appointed by the U.S. Ambassador to Belgium to be chairman of the United States Trade and Investment Center. Jim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Linda. Delighted to be on the show. Uh, Jim, tell me a bit more about Sapphire. Okay. Well, let me first uh, just say that uh, previous speaker, Laurie Spangler, uh, would include actually designed and uh, developed and has done the fundraising to create Sapphire. Uh, she didn't get a chance to say that, uh, but uh, I want to make sure I give her the appropriate uh, plug for the good work uh, she and her team uh, did. But Sapphire is, uh, we invest in banks, uh, not Citibank or Bank of America or Goldman Sachs, the big banks that uh, everyone knows, but uh, small, medium-sized banks that have a very distinctive mission in their local communities. And these communities, it uh, doesn't matter whether they're in India or Indiana. But the banks are very different uh, from the from the big banks. And earlier uh, in the uh, show, David Korsland, who is also a colleague, uh, talked about some of the problems with these big banks. And I can just tell you that uh, having worked for uh, for Bank of America for uh, for 22 years, uh, a lot of the shenanigans uh, that that, was, that went on prior to the uh, collapse and. Uh, 2008 uh, uh, are still going on, uh, very much so. At any rate, we we have a very specific purpose. The the banks that we're investing in are supporting small and medium-sized enterprises or individuals. Lori talked about the 
beyond or underserved uh, individuals and people operating in the real economy. That's exactly the people that we are uh, that we're focused on. And the, these banks are uh, delivering positive social, environmental, and economic outcomes. Um, and and they're not just banks. Uh, they they could be credit unions or cooperatives, but they all have the same sustainability uh, focus. Fantastic. And where did you come up with the idea? Well, I wish I could take credit for it, uh, Linda. <laughs> but it was actually created by the Global Alliance for Banking on Values, and I think you've had uh, various members of uh, the alliance uh, on your show talking about the good work uh, they're doing. But uh, about four years ago, um, the alliance uh, wanted to extend their own uh, presence. Uh, at that time, there were about uh, 20 banks, so 20 banks, financial institutions. By the way, they're now approaching uh, almost 40, so uh, it's almost double. But they, they decided to try and to investigate how... Uh, how capital could be raised to increase the number of uh, of the sustainability-focused uh, organizations uh, globally. So just over a year ago, we got started, and we raised, uh, with Lori uh, Spengler's help, uh, almost $50 million from a group of uh, international investors. But importantly, uh, and this, this, this is key, the GABV members, the large majority of them, uh, have contributed almost $20 million of the uh, $50 million raised. So really a question of putting their uh, their own capital on the line to ensure the base of, uh, of uh, sustainability fun- uh, financial, focused financial institutions is expanded. So congrats. I mean, it sounds like there's, there's appetite out there. I mean, you're, you've raised $50 million, and even that uh, you mentioned that this was uh, an initiative um, contributed to by the Global Alliance for Banking and Values and its member organizations. I find it interesting that um, banks, in a way, are putting their money into a fund that can support other banks. Isn't, is that unique? Uh, I think everything we're doing is is unique. Uh, we're we're really trailblazing with uh, with this fund. Uh, there are there just uh, there isn't. We're not aware of any other fund like our, like ourselves that are that are investing in these types of banks. It's wonderful. Now I want to get into the types of investment you're you're making or Sapphire is making. But before we go there, you mentioned uh, shenanigans. You mentioned your career um, in, in over the years. I want to know how did you get involved in Sapphire? You're obviously a banker, so I guess what made you um, change your ways? Uh, well, I really have changed my ways. Uh, I tell people I'm a, a reformed banker. That <laughs> um, I did. I did start out uh, working in one of those big banks, uh, Bank of America, the ones that are too big to fail. And by the way, and after my time, I might add, uh, Bank of America actually did fail along with Citibank and, and, of course, several others. But I ran a pretty big operation in Europe, and uh, you know, I was one of the. Uh, and B of A was one of the ten largest banks in the world. But you know, we only went. Uh, big sums of money to uh, to big corporations. Um, so, you know, I didn't know anything about the world that that I'm in now. Uh, I just knew about big companies, all the famous names you hear about. Uh, most of them, or many of them, uh, would have been uh, would have been customers of ours. 
But then, then you know, after and and by the way, I just add, I, I like to joke about the fact that uh, when I was at B of A and uh, running running Europe, the the uh, the the time of the day that made me the most uh, uptight was late in the afternoon when I would make calls around to all of our various trading rooms to see how they'd done during the days. So I I I, I refer to these trading rooms, and I still do, as the casinos. And we wow. had several, many, several large casinos. And either they made a they made a ton of money, or they lost a ton of money. And uh, so, depending on how they did, I either had a good night or, or not such a great night. But uh, you know, it, it very truly was uh, not anything like what we're doing now, or anything like the the kinds of banks we're investing in. Uh, but anyway, I, I I did that, and then I uh, had a, a very fortunate uh, shift to a, to a, a commercial finance company, one of the largest uh, in the world, uh, Heller Financial, and uh, they had a global presence in about 25 countries. And it's it's here that uh, is at Heller where I started learning about the SME market, and uh, which you know the small medium sized businesses. All of a sudden, I was making loans for as little as fifty thousand to over a million customers. So, rather than you know ten, fifteen, twenty million dollar loans to maybe two hundred customers, uh, the whole picture changed. But uh, you know, I learned an awful lot about uh, the way these small businesses really uh, drive the economies, and it's true around the world. It's it's uh, in all twenty five countries I looked after. Uh, you know the. The economies were being driven by these companies, by these small, medium-sized businesses. Some really small, and they just didn't, uh, you know, they they didn't have a lot of choices for 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 financial uh, services. But uh, Heller Heller uh, provided uh, provided that. Uh. But then, so that was a wonderful job until GE Capital came along and bought us for uh, an, a ridiculous price, and we just couldn't say no to. So uh, they took the business, and uh, I. Uh, had to uh, find some other things to do, and uh, very fortunately, about six years ago, a headhunter friend called up and said, do you know anything about microfinance? And I said, I have absolutely no idea uh, what microfinance is. And uh, <clears throat> and they said, well, uh, you know about uh, Mexico. I've got a problem in Mexico, the microfinance company. Could you go down there and take a look at it? So I did. I went down. I, I fixed it up. The IFC was one of the investors. They liked what I did, and they said, uh, how would you like to go uh, to uh, Pakistan and look at a, a business which, uh, interestingly, uh, Lori uh, and the Include team were also looking at, and I must admit, uh, Lori and her team uh, uh, did, a, did a better job than we did and managed to, uh, to uh, help with the acquisition of, uh, of, of this particular bank in Pakistan. But that, nevertheless, led, led me to India, and then when I was in India, I... I got involved with uh, a wonderful, uh, amazing woman called Mary Houghton, who I was with in India over the last uh, couple of days. Mary started ShoreBank, and ShoreBank actually, as uh, Lori mentioned, uh, was where uh, Include was uh, born out of uh, out of ShoreBank and, and Triados. But Mary, uh, when I was with her on the board, said, "Have you ever heard about the JABV?" And I said, "Yes, uh, no, not too much." 
much, uh, but uh, she said, well, it's a wonderful organization with over $100 billion in assets, 30,000 staff, and the, the, the group companies uh, affecting the lives of 20 million people in six continents. She said, you know, we need a CEO. We're going to start a fund to, uh, to expand our base of uh, sustainability-focused organizations, and what do you think? And I said, well, don't ask me twice. I'll take it, uh, and, and I did. So, so here, very happily joined Back in the beginning of 2014. So here you are now with uh, running SAFAR, Sustainability Finance Real Economies, which is, I guess in effect is an open-ended investment vehicle that allows a, probably a larger investor or an institu- institutional investor put money into a fund which then um, funds values-based banks to create more positive economic, social and environmental change. Can you give me some examples of uh, the investments you've made? Uh, quite quickly, we're, we're coming towards the end. Sure, of the I know. I know. I, I spent too much time talking about my journey. At any rate, I'll tell you about. I'll tell you about one quickly. It's one we just did in Cambodia. Uh, it's an organization called Presac, and uh, the uh, this organization was set up with the objective of rehabilitating and supporting uh, the agricultural se- sector. Uh, 330,000 farmers, uh, and uh, the big thing here, and this is this is true of a lot of the organizations we're investing in, uh, they started out as a typical microfinance company, but uh, they expanded their base, they started taking deposits, they started offering insurance products, which for farmers is really, really important uh, when they have uh, crop failures, uh, national disasters, uh, Natural, sorry, natural uh, disasters. Uh, they encourage savings. Also, very important and something that uh, around the world people are, are people are involved in the space are trying to encourage. Uh, but they also would offer money transfer, money exchange. You know, in short, and this really sort of uh, represents what all these organizations that we're, we're, we are or will be investing in, they're trying to bring a broader base of uh, financial services uh, to the, uh, the under unbanked, and that, that's uh, precisely what Lori was talking about uh, previously. So you're... It's interesting. I mean, um, what, what's the biggest challenge facing you now? I mean, it sounds like the, the fund is launched. It's doing very well. It's generating interest, and obviously it's generating impact with the investments being made. But for something like Sapphire or even the banking industry and the shift that you know we're trying to encourage to be values-based, what's the biggest challenge? Well, I think, you know, the, the, the problem is there just aren't enough banks uh, like uh, like the the ones that we're investing in and uh, the one the, the ones that exist already with the GABB we we just simply need to expand the base and uh, so that people can begin to see what a difference these banks make in their in their local communities so the challenge is uh, to first make sure we're making the absolute best possible investments that, you know, we can use as our sort of poster children to show this is what we're doing. It's a different kind of banking. It's, it's an essential part of banking. Uh, and uh, to do that, of course, you need to raise capital. And uh, with Lori's help, we've been, uh, we've been doing that. Uh, so continuing to, uh, to focus on making the best possible investments and uh, continue to raise uh, capital and to get the, get the word out about this kind of banking. And, you know, I think eventually, and it's very helpful having shows like yours, Linda, to, uh, to get that message out, 
but we need to uh, we need you know, I really want to get to to a much broader frankly retail base of uh, of investors the millennials that uh, you know don't buy any of the kind of crazy stuff that these big banks are doing if they knew that there were banks being developed around the world that were really making a difference in their local communities and they could find a way to invest in them uh, then I think they would uh, they'd be jumping at the opportunity so I'd like to I'd like to reach out and and and, and find uh, a way to uh, to move beyond where we are now with uh, you know basically appealing to very large uh, investors, uh, typically foundations, uh, family home offices, uh, uh, eventually insurance companies, uh, uh, to uh, to really get in and get people to know about us at the at the, at the retail level, at the base level. Great. Well, thanks, Jim. Look, folks, if you want to find out more about Sapphire Fund, Sustainability Finance, Real Economies, and the great work being done to finance uh, banks and values-based banks creating change, you can go to uh, sforefund.com. Very quick look at what's trending on social media under the hashtag Banking on Values. Case Foundation is um, actually saying that there's no reason why you shouldn't be investing for impact. Women's World Finance is uh, co-authoring a framework, policy framework, to support women's financial inclusion. And thanks to Southern Bank Corp, Finance Watch, Responsible Finance, and Olaf Weber, who are talking about the show. Next week, we're going to hear from Blake Good from RFI Foundation and Diego Isabel Lamanida from the Global Hub for Common Good, who are driving systemic change through responsible finance and common good economics. So until next time, tweet me at Catalyst Warrior, tweet the show at Voice AM Business, and don't forget to share the show. As Jim was just saying, let's spread the word, because we have the power to build banking on values. Thank you for listening to Building Banking on Values. Please join your host, Linda Ryan, again next Thursday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 